Oh, hey, good morning, good afternoon, everybody, depending on what part of this beautiful country that you're in. And it's pretty frosty still in some parts of it, including my own. Welcome to the Rebel News Weekly Roundup. This used to be a daily show hosted by David Menzies and a rotating cast of characters, including myself. But I think you'll agree with me. David Menzies is the best man on the street journalist in this country. And it would be an absolute travesty to the pursuit of journalism in this country to continue to keep that force of nature inside a studio every single day. So we tightened up the show. We're just doing the show on Fridays now where we recap the week and it is hosted by me because I do most of my work from the desk where I'm at right here. This is where I do all my writing, all my filming. So it's easier for me to just flip on a camera and talk to you guys. So we're going to talk about the news of the day and uh, end of the week. And as you know, there's absolutely nothing happening in the world. And uh, the Rebel News team is sort of just sitting on our hands waiting for news to come to us. Of course, you realize that sarcasm because we are ripping it up in our World Economic Forum coverage um, in no small part, thanks to the team on the ground there, which includes the boss, Ezra Levant, Avi Yamini, went to Davos, Switzerland, all the way from Australia, which I understand is um, a very onerous trip. I think it took him almost two full days. And then we've also got Kian Simone, who's a producer on the ground there, and Lincoln Jay. So um, they're working so hard over there. We're going to look at some of their best work. And special shout out to the team in Toronto, but also across the country, our diligent team of writers and journalists and producers and social media content creators, uh, they're all working behind the scenes watching all the World Economic Forum live streams um, because these people say crazy things when they think only their elite buddies are watching. Well, it's not just their elite buddies anymore. Rebel News is watching. And so we're doing our very best to bring you accountability journalism from on the ground um, in Davos, Switzerland. You can see all of their reports and support, I think, some of the most important independent journalism we've ever done at wefreports.com. I mean, we're really outside of True North, although, and this is no offense to our friends at True North, we're a little more rambunctious than they are on the ground. And uh, we're really the only independent journalists with any sort of reach whatsoever on the ground there outside of our friends at True North. Although I think we're going to continue to inspire other people to come next year. Let me tell you how you can get involved and then I'll, we'll just get to the clips. Let's look at some of these clips and I'll, I've got some things to say as I generally do. I'm full of opinions. And I'll share them as they come. But uh, I want to tear through some of these clips today because, uh, I mean, uh, the journalism speaks for itself. And I don't have to lead all my horses, you watchers, uh, to water to make you drink. You know exactly um, what these people are saying about you and your lives in these clips. So if you are watching us on YouTube, thanks so much. Um, 1.6 plus million sets of eyeballs over there. We don't want to abandon you. However, YouTube is a censorship platform that completely demonetized us. And they will also routinely erase your comments. I know some of you out there might think that I'm doing it or we're doing it. 
it's not. If your comment has been erased on YouTube, look at the um, big tech oligarchs uh, to hold them responsible. We didn't do it. Um, but if you want to watch us on a less censorious platform, wherein actually you can support us, um, you can watch us on Rumble or on Odyssey. On Rumble, you can leave a Rumble rant. On Odyssey, you can leave something called a hyper chat. And those are the paid chats. It supports the work that we do. And listen to me now. If your paid chat is over the $5 US minimum, I will read it on air. So make it a good one. However, don't let that be the bar for participation because we frequently read chats that fall under that and even sometimes clever free ones. So get chatting, get talking to each other, and you might just see your chat read by me on air. So let's get into the news. Um, Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland hot off a terrible week <laughs> wherein her uh, security people roughed up and illegally arrested David Menzies for the crime of journalism on a street. She, as you know, was on the board of trustees of the World Economic Forum. And so this is like a homecoming week for her. Uh, she was at the World Economic Forum uh, bragging about decarbonization. I've got opinions as an Albertan about decarbonization. Let's let, oh, she got a new dress. What a relief. It's conservative blue. She's wearing her Ukrainian ribbon. Of course she is. Um, but anyways, let's listen to Chrissy Freeland with her brand new World Economic Forum dress. Tell us about the successes <laughs> of decarbonization here in Canada. This is a hugely transformative moment in the whole global economy. Uh, I think that right now we're living through a moment which is comparable only to the industrial revolution itself in terms of the energy transition and the way we need to retool all of our manufacturing. That is huge. Canada's strategy, Borgay, is to say, look at these two trends and let's see how we can use them to play to Canada's strengths. And our view is, there's a lot that Canada can offer to the world in this moment. You know, we have the critical minerals and metals that you need to build a green economy. We have a lot of clean energy. 85% of our grid is already clean, and we are investing heavily in building more clean energy. We are a country that believes in manufacturing, has manufacturing know-how, and capacity. And then you guys spoke about industrial policy. You know, the thing that is new about industrial policy is we are developing our economies, growing our economies at a time when we also need to accomplish the green transition. And I spoke yesterday to a very significant international business leader who is also a big investor in Canada. And he said to me, all the countries in the world need to be very careful that decarbonization does not mean deindustrialization. I thought that was an extremely smart comment. And Canada is absolutely determined that decarbonization for us will mean more jobs, more growth, more manufacturing, 
And we recognize government needs to play a role to make that happen. What on earth is that woman talking about? You know what? Let's just take a minute to all just be glad that she was for once on stage in front of people sitting like a lady with her legs crossed. And like, look, I'm I'm not all that ladylike, but I know if I'm wearing a dress that I can't put my knees to my chest as she has in the past when she exposed our uh, alumnus Ian Bextie to her underpants in an airport when she was changing her shoes. I've seen her um, actually put her hair in a scrunchie while she was on the stage in London, in the UK with the UK foreign minister. And I, I was just absolutely mortified at how uncouth this woman is, I say, as I'm sitting here in my lumber jacket and my sweatshirt, but like know your audience, lady. So let that's a win. That's a win for all of us, for Canadian dignity. She kept her legs crossed. So that's in the win category. Let's talk about the losses, though. She notes that, um, and, you know, frankly, rightly so, that we're living through a moment that harkens back to the Industrial Revolution. She's right, just not in the way she thinks, because during the Industrial Revolution, there was um, a lot of people who were in the peasant class who couldn't afford um, heat and food. And that's where we are in the pursuit of green energy. Uh, she says that green energy policies will inspire manufacturing. Uh, Ontarians, let me know in the comment section. Remember when uh, Dalton McGinty brought in the uh, a whole slate of green policies in Ontario and then all of your manufacturing fled to greener pastures um, like Mexico? like the United States, like China, like your manufacturing sector went offshore because electricity was too expensive. I remember hearing from my cousins who were running their dryer in the middle of the night because that was when it was most affordable because electricity just went whoop right through the roof. Um, she's bragging about the number of... Uh, green electricity projects that are contaminating the grid. I've got opinions about this as an Albertan. <clears throat> For those of you who are not from Alberta, let me tell you. Alberta has roughly 800 years of some of the cleanest burning coal on the face of the earth under our feet. Uh, in some places, you can pick it out of the ground. You can pick it under out of the riverbed. It's like, you know, like on the side where the river's cut through. It's there. You can see it. Uh, it's the reason why, like at, at Wobbleman, at Genesee, they they strip mine. It's because it's, it's relatively close to the surface. We don't have to tunnel mine like they do in the United States. We don't do that here. It's so abundant and so close to the surface. And yet... Thanks to the NDP and their accelerated coal phase-out in conjunction with the likes of Krista Freeland and the Liberal Party of Canada. Uh, now, four years later, in a prolonged cold snap that is not unseasonably cold, just longer than normal, we are getting Amber Alert-style emergency alerts to our phone telling us to don't use electricity. Use the microwave, not the stove. Unplug the block heaters on our vehicles, which makes your vehicle just freeze up and it's impossible to run. That's what we're getting. 
Um, and that's because our grid was contaminated with both green energy, but also green energy policies. Because at the same time as the NDP accelerated their coal phase out, uh, they also brought in a carbon tax and uh, policy uncertainty. So what's the solution? If you don't have coal, you've got to, you need reliable baseload. Coal has always been our reliable baseload. So what do you shift to? Natural gas. Well, natural gas plant takes up to 10 years to get up and running. So when they accelerated this, the grid was not prepared. We're still not caught up. And the regulatory uncertainty of having an anti-oil and gas government, both in Ottawa, but also in Alberta at the time, meant that no companies wanted to build those plants because you didn't know if you were going to be allowed to, um, if they would suddenly decide, like how they decided they hated coal, that they would also all of a sudden hate natural gas too. And we're seeing some of that already. So um, we are, we may have what you might describe as an abundant of green abundance of green energy but an abundance of green energy means it only works like two percent of the time and the rest of the time a place that is oil rich gas rich and coal rich um is concerned now about catastrophic grid failures um so don't, do not listen to a word this woman says about the green energy transition, unless you do want to go back to the dark times of the um, industrial revolution, where you are uh, just living in a house with a hundred other people, <laughs> sleeping on the floor, and burning garbage to stay warm. That's where we're going to end up here. All right. <laughs> On that dark note, let's move ahead to the next thing. This one was comical. <laughs> this one was very comical to me. This is an anti-racism policy advisor. And if you watch the um, name key at the bottom of the clip we're about to show you, he works for an assistant deputy minister in the federal government. This guy is one of ours. Like we're paying this guy's salary. And he's bragging about DEI, that's diversity, equity, and inclusion. Although I like what Gavin McInnes says when he calls it D-I-E, <laughs> like a die. Um, he's bragging about uh, how far we've come with DEI here in Canada. And then he totally makes something up, just completely, <laughs> completely. But anyways... We're, we, not only do we pay this guy's salary, we're probably paying for him to have a luxury vacation in Davos. It's not cheap. Um, anyway, let's hear it from this guy who now calls himself Brown Bear. To introduce myself in a way that you can see me here and see how I've been showing up in this place. My name is Robert Beamish, but my spirit name is Ozawa Makwa, which means Brown Bear in Ojibwe. My father is Algonquin, Métis, and Irish. My mother is African Jamaican and Indigenous Jamaican. So I get to bring these intersections and these lenses to my work, not only the work I do in anti-racism, but my professional life, my personal life, how I, I navigate spaces and sit in the room and hear the conversations. And so I've been really thrilled to be able to go into sessions where, where DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, where racial equity was put on the table. But it was always also abundantly clear that this is on the table because it's profitable. And so we should all be doing this because you can make a profit. Inclusion is profitable. We've seen innovation increase by, by 20%. We've seen margins grow. We've seen employee satisfaction. And that's really encouraging to be able to have that kind of space for this. 
but I think of all the times when it wasn't profitable to be inclusive, where, where it wasn't profitable for a racial equity, and that wasn't on the table. And where it is on the table now, and we have this confluence, there is both this kind of harrowing feeling that I hope this stays profitable. I, I hope this stays profitable. And for a long time, I've seen examples where it wasn't profitable for certain people and they were in the way of profit and they experienced genocide. That's happened in Canada. Indigenous people were in the way of progression and they experienced genocide. And so it's a really scary thing to be in the way of profit. So I um, this guy works for us. I'm deeply embarrassed that he does. Uh, let's talk for a second about what he just said there. He said, I've seen examples where it wasn't profitable for certain people and they were in the way of profit and they experienced genocide. What? This is Canada. We don't genocide the wokesters. Apparently, we send them to Davos to embarrass us on an international scale, like this guy just did. Like, what's his name? Brown Bear? Uh, we don't genocide wokesters. We elevate them beyond their skill set, as we've seen here. He works. But this horrifies me, but it, it explains my farming business model. Let me go back a little. This guy is an advisor, Mr. Brown Bear, an advisor to the Deputy Minister for International Trade. Are you a farmer concerned about getting your exports to market? Let's say you're a canola farmer and you're just, you're like, is, is Trudeau going to annoy India again, possibly uh, ending uh our exports to that country and canola, I think, is our single largest. Um, we're the single largest exporter of canola in the world. Are they going to uh, embarrass us and then all of a sudden they won't take our grain or our pulses, as is the case again with India? Trudeau went to India, made an absolute idiot of himself, uh, a, just a complete jackass of himself and then all of a sudden canadian farmers are dealing with the fact that we don't have an export market for pulses chickpeas which is i mean that's it's a staple in indian food um so anyways i look at this guy and i thank my lucky stars every day that i'm, I'm out of canola and i've become the hay oligarch of strathcona county alberta um because uh, how how does anybody who needs to produce something and then move it offshore to international markets, look at this and have any sort of confidence in the federal government to even maintain trade relations. What has any of this got to do with the price of canola in India, if you know what I mean? I'm 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 just deeply ashamed. But anyways, we don't the moral of the story, we don't genocide the wokesters. Um, we let them choose their spirit name uh, at a gathering of the world's power brokers and control freaks and elevate them in such a manner that they cause us shame on an international scale. So thanks, Robert Beamish. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, let's keep going. Um, so that was the, so we've gone from Christian Freeland uh, just, 
making things up <laughs> completely. And then we've got uh, Brown Bear uh, just telling tales at a school and uh, making me really happy that I, I sell specialty blend hay <laughs> as a farmer now. And that can just be spread around locally to the stables around these parts. And I don't have to worry about how these people are going to harm my bottom line <laughs> by just saying stupid stuff. And now we've got Javier Mille, um, Argentinian president. And, uh, well, he looks like Teen Wolf. <laughs> so that kind of appeals to me. I love a, a conservative politician with fun hair, <laughs> for sure. Um, and uh, he went into the belly of the beast, the World Economic Forum, and told them off right to their faces. And it was refreshing and beautiful. And uh, I love that he was completely unafraid to be the skunk at the garden party. Let's roll this. Good afternoon. Thank you very much. Today, I'm here to tell you that the Western world is in danger. And it is endangered because those who are supposed to have to defend the values of the West are co-opted by a vision of the world that inexorably leads to socialism and thereby to poverty. Unfortunately, in recent decades, motivated by some well-meaning individuals willing to help others and others motivated by the wish to belong to a privileged caste, the main leaders of the Western world have abandoned the model of freedom for different versions of what we call collectivism. We're here to tell you that collectivist experiments are never the solution to the problems that afflict the citizens of the world. Rather, they are the root cause. Do believe me, no one better place than us, Argentines, to testify to these two points. Imagine how shooketh <laughs> the elites in the crowd were. They're still so annoyed on the internet. They're like, "What? why is he here? Why did he come? Um, who is this right-wing radical? Of course, they're invoking the word fascism. Fascism is an expansion of government to encompass uh, the private sector being just basically economic enforcers of government policy, which is what we see in the Western world from big tech, right? Like they, they enforce uh, censorship through a wink and a nudge um, by both the uh, Canadian, but also the American governments, he's doing his best to shrink the reach of government in the lives of Argentinians. And I hope he does it. I mean, he's just elected. Um, he seems to be on a pretty aggressive tangent of just cutting government. There's that fun video he did where he posted up all the things that the government does, and he just went through and ripped them off. Uh, I wish. Like, I absolutely wish. Um, I hope by the time he's done, the Argentinian bureaucracy fits on a postage stamp. Um, but yeah, good for him going there and telling this conclave of globalist control freaks to stay out of everybody's lives. And 
the expansion of government to uh, into a socialist state leads to poverty. And he is trying to bring Argentinians out of that. And um, good for him. Just so refreshing. Good for him. Um, I'm sure he uh, upset a few people in the crowd, but they have it coming. Uh, let's go to some of our moments this week. Our, I mean, Ezra, Avi, Kian. Lincoln, Benji also um, from on the ground in uh, Davos, Switzerland, where the control freaks are gathering to control. Uh, let's play this video from Mark Carney. Now, Mark Carney, uh, former head of the Bank of England, former head of the Bank of Canada, now the climate finance czar with the... Uh, United Nations. Basically, he is the climate debanking guy. So he has this little organization wherein if you do not meet their DEI climate social credit scores, then they pressure financial institutions to not provide finance and insurance to major fossil fuel projects. So, um, I mean, it's just the social credit they would apply to you. They're already applying it to the people who might create a job for you. He's the guy doing that. Um, and because of his connections to the financial sector, he knows exactly how to do it. And he is also frequently floated, although he sort of plays coy, coy, cheeky, about replacing Justin Trudeau as the leader of the Liberal Party of Canada. And uh, as we'll get to it shortly, Justin Trudeau ain't doing so hot with Canadians, but also with his own party. So um, anyways, there's a bit of a walk and talk here with Mark Carney. Uh, let's show it. Um, and then I'll tell you what I think is happening here. Let's roll this. Hello, how you been? Where, hey, what's up, what's up, what's up? Guys, oh, oh. Guys, can't guys, take guys. Mark Carney anywhere. Uh, I didn't do that. I'm, how I, you been? I'm, I, I've been all right. How, been, how are you? I've got a couple of quick questions I for just, you this evening. Just arrived, thank you. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to the party. I've been here a couple of days. Only been in three fights. Really? No, nah, nah, I would never do that. You know me. Um, listen, what's up, what's up? I've got a question for you. What? Yeah. We got here. We can do whatever. Sorry, We're the no, elites of the elites. Here, so... Let me, ask, let me ask you something. So, um, Justin Trudeau is struggling in the polls there. Um, what, would your, what would your, I guess, advice be to Trudeau? Because you've got an election coming at least in the next couple of years. It's pretty good of you to follow Canadian politics that close. You guys are buddies. Talk to a Canuck. Talk to, I'm great, nice to see you. But seriously, he needs help. He's down 20 points. He has a gender gap. Women are choosing conservatives more than liberals. I don't remember the last time that happened. What advice would you have with the, for the youngster? The, uh, going to a central banker for uh, political advice is never a good idea. Come on, we know that you're in the line. Uh, you know, I heard you succession. had a meeting the other day with uh, the prime minister in Ottawa. Is that correct? Uh, I see the prime minister from time to time. I in what capacity, may I ask? Uh, I Well, uh, I do a lot of work on uh, climate, as you know. Uh, a big fan of that. Do you ever do you ever register as a lobbyist or is it just friendship? Sorry, I don't. When you meet with the when you meet with the PM on climate, 
are you there on your own behalf or are you there on behalf of a, a company well, law? I um, am the UN special envoy on uh, climate action and finance. So, And what do you make? It's a bitter cold in, in Canada, down to minus 40s. Yeah, back home in Alberta, it was and, minus 40. Uh, and Gilboa for, uh, is saying go to electric cars. That doesn't work. In for a week. Well, you've got to have, watch out, you've got to have the full, uh, you've got to have full capacity, right? And you've got to have, um, you've got to, you know, one of the things we're going to need to do uh, in Canada, across Canada, um, and this is, you know, for the benefit of jobs in the country, is is build out the grid. You can't switch before you build it out, number one. Number two, one of the things you need, regardless of the form of energy you have, uh, we have, is, um, is also to have what's called a capacity market alongside uh, the electricity market. So you think that Gilboa's plan is a little bit hasty since we haven't done those foundational things? Well, I think what's important is that, you know, whether it's uh, in Alberta, Ontario, Canada, Australia, for that matter, uh, is that you have to, yeah, you have to build. You have to build. And it's, uh, it's a time to build. And look, we're in a position uh, where we in Canada are in a position where we have been an energy superpower. We can continue to be an energy superpower. We've always uh, we've always had um, uh, the ability to develop new sources of energy. But the PM and said there was no market for natural gas. How do you feel about natural gas, especially to relieve Ukraine and other Europeans from Russian gas? How come they are buying Russian gas and Qatari gas, but Justin Trudeau won't let them buy Canadian gas? Well, we would have to get uh, to build the, the trains in order to do the what uh, called LNG trains in order to get the gas to them. But God, this is a long interview, isn't it? I'm well, enjoying it, and I'm and I'm doing my best to be well, fair and friendly. No, if this was Canada, you could have him arrested. Uh, did your, you see that? Your rival, Christian Freeland, had one of our reporters arrested. Oh, I don't think she did. I think she didn't uh, say a word against it. Um, on the incident, um, as you guys know very well, Canada is a rule of law country. Canada is a democracy. Operational decisions about law enforcement are taken by the police of jurisdiction. Quite appropriately, political elected officials have no role in the taking of those decisions. And that's why I don't have any further comment. It was the wrong thing. It was absolutely the wrong thing. Well, thank you for saying that. I favor of, uh, look, freedom of the press. I've, look, I've, uh, been pub- I've been a public figure in Canada, been a public figure in the UK. I know you got to answer tough questions. And you guys, you know, you asked tough questions, and that's fair. Well, I want to thank you for saying that, because I have to say, Christian Freeland has not yet said anything uh, in the in the vein that you have, she's been happy to let the cops do her work for her. And if she disagrees with the cops, she hasn't said so. Well, uh, I said what I said. So, but look, the questions you were asking earlier about uh, energy, and I'm going to have to. Right, well, thanks on. for your time. I really yeah, appreciate. Uh, and I appreciate keeping. Mark, 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 come on, I, I, I feel I mean, like I until mean, until next thing, until next. <laughs> no, no, no. Take care. Thank you. So. What a cultural sea change from an old school liberal to Justin Trudeau's uh, hypersensitive, tyrannical version of liberals in Canada. Now, I he has said, Mark Carney has said that he is not going to run for the liberals. 
but I think he is being courted very heavily. And if I had to guess, uh, what we just saw there is him floating a thought bubble about whether or not he should run because he is saying things that were not out of line with the liberal party of Paul Martin, of Jean Chrétien, but they are in complete contrast to Justin Trudeau's version of liberalism. So he defends the freedom of the press. He, uh, This is his second walk and talk with us. Avi Yamini got him last year. Uh, you can see Ezra has a friendly rapport with him. I'm not sure that I agree with Mark Carney on what he says about our energy industry in that I don't think he's sincere when he says those things, given his role at the United Nations that we, you know, when he says we should have a mix of energy and that includes fossil fuels and, and we should uh, be an energy superpower. That's something that we haven't heard uh, a politician say at the federal level since Stephen Harper days. Um, so I'm not sure I, I agree with what he's saying. I just don't agree that he's sincere when he says it. But if I had to guess, if I had to guess, that man is seriously considering running to replace Justin Trudeau. And uh, I mean, it couldn't be worse. It couldn't be worse. And how strange. I mean, that is a, a bit of a stick in the eye, what he did there. By, yeah, he says he hasn't ruled it out, but then he says, I have ruled it out. That is a real uh, passive aggressive. And as Canadians, you know, people say we're nice, but I think we're probably passive aggressive and not nice. Um, but that is a real passive aggressive way of firing a shot across the bow of someone who would be a challenger for the leadership of the Liberal Party, Christian Freeland. He just distinguished himself as vastly different from Christian Freeland, who is basically Justin Trudeau 2.0. Uh, with messy hair and a bad dress, um, he says he defends freedom of the press and he says he supports a robust energy mix to make sure that Canadians don't freeze in the dark. Imagine Albertans freezing in the dark after we threaten the rest of the country with it. But she says, no, no, freezing in the dark is what's going to create jobs. And he's saying, no, that's not how it's supposed to work. So who knows? Who knows? I think maybe that man sees opportunity. And imagine launching your leadership, a soft launch of your leadership for the Liberal Party of Canada. And you did it with Rebel News in a walk and talk on the streets of Davos with Ezra Levant, of all people. Wild. Wild. Okay, let's move on to the next video because uh, spotting these people on the street in Davos where everybody sort of looks the same. They all sort of have the same winter jacket that sort of kind of dressy but warmer winter jacket and they're all sort of wearing these dark suits and the world's power brokers all kind of look the same that's how they get away with it but our team is doing a really great job of spotting these uh cookie cutter versions of oligarchs um and elites and ezra spotted the president of the bill and melinda gates foundation and had a little walk and talk with him. So let's uh, let's watch that. 
Hey, can I ask you a few questions about the foundation? No, unfortunately, uh, I'm running late for something. Well, I'll walk with you. Uh, no, one of the criticisms is Bill Gates is sort of a master of the universe, but he's not elected at all. But, but he exerts a lot of power. How do you feel about that? Isn't it a little undemocratic? Is Melinda still involved with the foundation even after the divorce? But I did not like uh, that he'd had meetings with Jeffrey Epstein. How many times did Bill Gates actually visit Epstein? I've seen estimates that it was in the dozens. Is that true? Why is it that Bill Gates is out free when others who were involved with Epstein are being prosecuted, like even Prince Andrew's in trouble? How did Bill Gates manage to escape? What was Bill Gates' involvement in the simulation for a worldwide pandemic just months before COVID-19? Has he ever explained that? I was at a, a pavilion called We Lead. It was a women's rights organization in India. They said that the Bill Gates Foundation was a funder. What are you doing poking around India like that? What's Bill Gates' ambition in India? Bill Gates says he thinks there's too many people in the world. He'd like to see 15 or 20 percent fewer people at least. Uh, first, we've got population. Uh, the world today has 6.8 billion people. That's headed up to about 9 billion. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, health care, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent. And yet he's behind a lot of vaccine development. Isn't that sort of a conflict of interest? How can you trust a guy to make medicine if he says there's too many people in the world? Don't you think you have a, an obligation to be transparent? I don't think I'm asking any questions that you haven't heard before. I bet you have answers to all my questions. Why don't you just clear the air on some of these things? Why do you think you're above scrutiny? No, oh, no, wait. no, Bill Gates has given more than $300 million to media organizations. I think that's one reason he's been able to skate on the whole Epstein thing. But don't you think just for the public interest, you should have to answer some questions about the billions of dollars you spend distorting public policy? Who have you met with here? And will you ever disclose that? Or do you precisely come to Davos so your meetings are kept secret and no one knows about them? Do you ever talk to the media or only media that Bill Gates buys? awkward silence. Are you worried that if all the details come out about the Epstein trial, that your boss might get into legal trouble like Prince Andrew did or some of the others on the list? I mean, it must have been bad for Melinda to divorce him over Epstein. I mean, that's what Melinda Gates said. She said she literally divorced him because of what she learned, because he wouldn't stop visiting Epstein. He was evil personified. I had nightmares about it afterwards. I mean, how can you work for a guy like that? 
How much money has the foundation contributed to Davos? I know that Klaus Schwab sells different tiers of participation. How much money has the foundation put into the get-together this year? Bill Gates wants the rest of us to eat bugs and even drink something he calls poop water, but he's one of the biggest agricultural landowners in America. It's water. What's going on there? Why is he buying up farmland while telling the rest of us to eat the bugs? Does Bill Gates ever do an interview that's not scripted? I mean, okay, I think that's does he good ever idea. allow himself? Uh, if that walk and talk were conducted by anybody other than Ezra Levant, it would be taught in journalism schools. That, And I'm not just saying this because... Ezra's my boss. I'm saying this as a journalist in awe of what I just watched there. And I've seen that video a dozen times. To maintain your cool, to have a slate of like question after question after question after question and good questions, not gotcha questions, like actual questions that normal people want answers to, not that will cuddle a uh, a very powerful person, as so often you see from the likes of CNN, and we'll get into that in a second. Um, but to be able, you're already, you're swallowing adrenaline when you're dealing with these people, right? Because you've been outside, you're waiting, you don't know who you're going to see. That's the thing. You never know who you're going to come across. And then you've got to all of a sudden, your body just dumps adrenaline. No matter how many times that you've done this sort of thing, your body just dumps adrenaline. And then you've got to find a way to push that down and think clearly and and convince yourself that that person is horrified of you. That's what you have to remember about powerful people being faced with a journalist that is contrary. Um they're scared of you. Their adrenaline is hitting them harder than yours is. And for Ezra to just walk down the street and calmly fire off question after question after question after question, and just sweeping the range of issues from the World Economic Forum to um it, you know, his Bill Gates' ownership of land to his relationship with Epstein and also knowing what, like this guy's smug silence is really something else. Um, and Ezra paused and just left like 45 seconds of awkward silence. Now, two things are going to happen when you give a powerful person awkward silence. I'm giving a free seminar in journalism here. Um, as a journalist, you often feel the need to just sort of keep talking and fill in the blanks. But sometimes silence is the best. Because uh, either it's going to be awkward and weird and like cringy, right? Um, as what you saw there, which is very compelling and the silence says a lot. Or the subject that you're interviewing will feel the need to start talking and just fill in the blanks and say dumb stuff like Justin Trudeau does. So never underestimate the value of a dramatic pause in your questioning what you saw there i hope young journalists like bookmark that video and watch it over and over and over again because that is um someone who knows the issue is prepared for anything is calm under pressure and and again the dramatic silence you must you must do that it is it's uh one of the things that i 
really try to hammer home with young journalists is if you ask a guy a question, let him answer or let him ignore the question, but either, either are perfect. Um, and if you want to see more of that, just cringe inducing walk and talk, <laughs> you can go to wefreports.com, but man, that's a masterclass the boss put on there. Um, last one, uh, Richard Quest, CNN news anchor, uh, the network of doctor's offices and airports. He was in Davos and um, they buttonholed him on the street, which really flipped the script on that guy. <laughs> and he didn't handle it all that great. I mean, he tried. Um, anyway, we asked him some questions. We being the royal we, us as a network, asked him some questions about the network's cozy relationship with the elite while simultaneously covering the elite. Look at this voice anywhere. How you doing? I'm sorry. Not this morning. What are you sorry about? Well, I'm sorry that I can't stop to talk to you. Let's not stop. Let's talk and walk. We got 60 <laughs> seconds. I got one question for you. I've been thinking about CNN and yourself, especially a lot of credibility, a lot of reputation, but how can you ask critical questions here? If, uh, if you're paying to be here, like CNN pays to be here. So how can you critically ask questions about the WEF? I always find it's best to be very careful when walking, talking and doing interviews, particularly in snowy conditions because I think now you're avoiding the question I think it's because you're embarrassed I think it's always very important to Are understand you? now now we have two against one we're, I'm not against you mate we're, we're all on the side of the truth at least I am I know you are too now, let me ask you do you ski I have a better question that's more in the public interest how can CNN report neutrally or objectively on the World Economic Forum if you're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to be here you're part of the insiders when you say we are paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to be here. That's right. Precisely what do you mean? Well, um, to get access to the inside, CNN and the other regime media pay hundreds of thousands of the dollars. Other, sorry? Regime media. Excuse me? Regime, R-E-G-I-M-E. Excuse me? Yes. My God, you know, you are, this is fascinating. You're not you, doing very well as an answerer. You're you good as an asker, but not as an answerer. more cameras to try and get me. I'm not trying to get you, mates. I'm trying to get an answer from you. It's different. Lovely weather. Tell me, you've been here every single year. We bumped into you last year. Um, this year, the theme is regaining trust. Why do you think your lords here at WEF have lost so no, much no, trust? Stop it, stop it. Rephrase the question in a neutral fashion and you might stand an answer, a chance of getting like, an answer. Like CNN does? You don't like it when it's... Uh, Listen, I think you're a great board. question asker. I watch you. I, I so love your voice. Questions. Answer my questions. What's your purpose? My purpose is to find out how you can be an objective journalist, but also pay to be part of the team. But you're assuming we pay to be part of the team. I know you do. What? Show so me. All of these organizations yeah. along here pay an enormous amount of and money to you, Klaus Schwab. And do you see us along here? No, you're in the inner sanctum. Uh, for, for which we pay for the facilities of studios sure. and broadcasting if, if that lets you sleep at night, mate... We pay for that in all sorts of venues. Yeah, you know we what? We pay for the facilities. And I assure you, sir, I assure you, the numbers you have for what we might pay for facilities, i.e. electricity, tables. And access. No. Hundreds of thousands of dollars for yes. tables. Are they golden tables? Yes, yes. There is no payment for access. Let me just say this again, to be absolutely clear. The access is a bonus. The access is part of my job. 
And you would never jeopardize that by asking questions oh, that are too prickly. Oh, you are clearly erroneous, sir. Show me a you, prickly question you've asked here at this place. Really, You'd get uh, booted out. Look at Klaus, interviews with Klaus Schwab over the years. We have become too much pessimists. Look, humankind was driven, uh, so was the paradigm, the, the narrative, to take care of the next generations, to take care of the neighbors. And we have lost this capability to a certain extent. How do we get that back? Look, the world is also full of opportunities. My questioning of Klaus Schwab has been over the years some of the more difficult and, if you will, uncomfortable for WEF. I don't believe that. World Economic Forum's theme this year, Rebuilding Trust, where it aims to hit the target. That's also the philosophy of the Davos Curling Club. So when the skip says, here, you make the drool like that. So that's why it's called curling, because well, you curl. It curls. It curls, yes. Look at what I say about WEF. Look um, at the articles I've written about WEF. I say basically, my fundamental view on WEF? Yes. A lot of what happens here is a waste of time. A lot of it is far too expensive, but there is real value in people coming together at the beginning of the year to see where they stand on controversial or political... With no democratic oversight, no opposition party, and no independent journalists. It is a crypto oh, no, government. It, it's on. a lobbyist festival. It's unregistered lobbyists. You get okay. away with things. Right. You have now transgressed. You have followed me for the last however many minutes. I've made it clear I didn't particularly want to be interviewed. I've given you some answers. Now will you let me proceed? Go You're ahead. You're be in your safe space. You're better go past the gate. But why do you think why do you think I, we don't get access but you do? I really love the fact, really love it, that you will take whatever I say in however I say it and manage to turn it either. We've learned from the master. Yeah, We've learned from you're the master. Doing you're, do you're doing it now. And either turn it against me or against CNN or against anybody else that you deem to be unworthy of your approval. Well done, sir. Go with the masters of the universe. Go with your people. Go to, go to your people. Am, Those I'm are your people. I'm forward to seeing how you edit this. It'll be raw, my friend. Uncut. Excellent. In which case, you will fully understand it's not particularly pleasant at half past nine in the morning to be ambushed by one, two, three, four, five people. <laughs> five. I don't even deploy that many people when I'm going to interview a president. You've got that many people in the makeup room alone. There's many criminals here we would love to hold. Uh, again, masterclass. Uh, masterclass in the walk and talk last two walk and talks they both said oh i'm in a rush i can't stop to talk and ezra's like great we're not stopping let's keep going uh i heard that he is really clocking some steps <laughs> while he's there um because you have to you have like these people if you say like hey do you have time for an interview you're giving them an easy out we, we don't care if they have time we're gonna buttonhole you on the street that guy is so accustomed to doing friendly advertorials instead of actual journalism that he was alarmed and made painfully awkward by real journalism. Do you notice how he put his hands on Avi and stuff like that? That's, you know, his attempt to sort of paint himself as jovial and not adversarial. But let me tell you, if Avi or 
Ezra put their hands on him, they'd still be in a Swiss jail. <laughs> like it's, it's just, uh, it's really interesting to see how, uh, how tough it is for these people to be confronted with real journalism, even the journalists themselves. And, uh, uh, like just great work by the team. And again, another masterclass in keeping your cool. You could tell that Mr. Quest was trying to sort of invite confrontation in the most, again, passive aggressive of ways. And Ezra wasn't having any of it. He was just, you know, being the happy warrior that he is. Uh, the mainstream media should really take note of what Ezra's been doing in Davos. And I love Ezra out in the field. It is, it's like David Menzies. Ezra's really good out in the field. I know that it's important for him to uh, get everything off his chest every day in the therapy session for Ezra Levant that we call the nightly Ezra Levant show sitting behind uh, the Rebel News Plus paywall at rebelnewsplus.com. It's good for him, but he's also, he's, Excellent, excellent out in the field. And I think our viewers at home love to see it. Um, let's do an ad break and then finish up the last little bit of the show. What we are very proud of now is the young generation like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau. They all have been young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. We insisted on being vaccinated, being tested twice. Anybody who felt uh, this was uh, too much, or I said it's an unfair question because who will there? <laughs> who will there? But we now know that the vaccines do not trans stop transmission. Justin Trudeau was condemning China for the treatment of lockdown protesters after what he did to the truckers. Why did you keep that secret? Do you think he should apologize? Have a nice day. I won't have a nice day until I know the answer. Are you here just to take your marching orders? Is that what you're here for? Do you want to go away? Not really. Greta, are you used to gentler questions or do you ever talk to people who disagree with you? Should you not refund to countries that laid out billions for your ineffective vaccine? I'm here to do what you should be doing. All right, let's get into some news back home. It Let's uh, just quickly breeze through this story from the Toronto Star. It's based on Abacus data polling. And it says that Justin Trudeau and his liberals hit new lows in support. If we breeze through it, we can see that uh, in December, conservative support plummeted 5%, but not below the liberals. They're already out in front of the liberals about, it depends on where you would look, like 8 to 13%. Um, but right now... Uh, the survey found that the number of people who would consider voting for the Liberals hit a new low of 41%. That's the same figure posted by the NDP and 13 points lower than the 54% of, of Canadians who would vote for the Conservatives. That's Conservative supermajority country. 
And uh, the poll was conducted between January 4th and January 9th. Um, perceptions of Trudeau himself also suffered over the holiday season with 59% of those surveyed, another all-time low, having a negative view of the prime minister. Only 24% of Canadians, ugh, Toronto, come to your senses. Only 24% of Canadians would vote for the Liberals if a federal election were held now, compared to 41% for the Conservatives and 18% for the New Democrats. So what does this mean? What are my predictions here? The Liberals are going to hang on as long as they possibly can, because above all else, they are their ideology is power. They believe themselves to be the natural governing party of Canadians. And if that means giving the radical NDP literally everything they want, then they're going to do it. And we we saw this with some of the national daycare, pharma care, dental care programs that were um, NDP ideas adopted by the Liberals in an attempt to uh, just hold on to power. Because they know if that NDP Liberal coalition falls apart, we go to elections and it is a Kim Campbell-style decimation. But for the Liberals this time, instead of for the Conservatives. Um, and who's to blame? Well, if you ask Justin Trudeau, it's definitely not Justin Trudeau. <laughs> um, if you Let's go to this clip. Trudeau says that it is certain parts of the country and political parties, and they are instrumentalizing. That's a big word for an idiot. They're instrumentalizing divisions or intolerance into political advantage. Same guy, by the way, same Justin Trudeau who workshopped uh, ideas and did opinion public opinion polling about whether or not it would be um, politically advantageous to demonize the unvaccinated. This guy is accusing other people of stoking political divisions for political advantage. Sure. But anyways, let's roll this clip because I think he's talking about us here in Alberta. Anyway, let's go. In New Brunswick recently, there's been a lot of rhetoric about gender-affirming care, um, and the Premier is making a lot of comments about potentially scaling that back. I'm wondering if you're worried about that rhetoric and whether you're worried the province will scale back gender-affirming care. I think Canada is the best country in the world, in part because Canadians respect each other. Uh, and in Canada, people are free to be who they are, to love whom they love. It's something that our party and, quite frankly, millions of Canadians will always stand to defend. Unfortunately, we are seeing uh, in certain parts of the country, in certain political parties, uh, try to instrumentalize uh, divisions or uh, intolerance into uh, political advantage. Um, we're a party that will always stand uh, with everyone, uh, be there to defend people's rights to be who they are. Uh, and um, I think that's something that all Canadians expect of their governments. Uh, we're a government that will always stand up for people's rights. Well, given the challenges that healthcare is facing ac across the country and not no surprise in New guys. Brunswick, would you? Um, yeah. So Justin Trudeau, immensely unpopular. He's unpopular with parents of all socioeconomic backgrounds. He is now. Um, losing support with suburban women, which were responsible, I think, in no small part with his election the last couple of times. Apparently, 
middle-aged women like myself in other parts of the country don't vote for the jobs of their husbands and their sons. Um, however, they vote for hair and socks. I don't know. His hair's not all that great. It's just average hair. Um, I'd rather vote for woolies than uh, novelty socks. But, um, you know, it's pretty rich from a guy who said demonizing and dehumanizing things about people who simply made a different medical choice during the great COVID scare to complain about others instrumentalizing divisions and intolerance. That's the most intolerant man, I think, in this country. He's always, always, just like how he's a feminist, but also a groper, how he's an anti-racist, but also a guy who wore blackface so many times that he can't keep count. He is that which he accuses others of. It's called projection. And I think finally, finally, some of womankind, people kind, what even is a woman, um, they're starting to see through it in some of the more traditional liberal voting parts of the country. So that's a bit of a relief. Um, maybe, maybe they weren't wrong to give us the vote after all. <laughs> that's a joke. Don't send me letters. <laughs> um, let's uh run this last clip and then we'll get to um if there's uh oh yeah dave shrigley um somebody one of our writers points out that uh justin trudeau also claimed that the freedom convoy was sedition so (laughs) like uh or that this lady claimed that anyways forget what i just said because i'll uh we'll talk about that in a second i want to talk about liberal corruption so uh, this liberal MP's spouse improperly collected Serb. Let's show this. <sighs> liberal MP Lisa Hepner, uh, she was someone who was outspoken about the necessity for Serb. Uh, yeah, sorry, we were talking about Mark Carney accused the convoy of being sedition, but now he cares about free speech. Anyways, that's just <laughs> hearkening back to our conversation about Mark Carney. But anyways, let's talk about this liberal MP's spouse improperly collecting Serbs. Sorry, I'm a little bit all over the place as we try to wrap up the show. Lisa Hepner disclosed her husband, Michael Aitkins. This is the just like chef's kiss. <laughs> a local CBC cameraman. <laughs> Faced a repayment order as he already had income and did not require COVID relief. More than 1.1 million Canadians had to date have improperly claimed 2.1 billion in COVID relief. So Lisa Hepner, who earlier praised the feds for rolling out the emergency response benefit that's colloquially known as CERB to help Canadians didn't comment on the matter. I bet she didn't. <laughs> it was not just to help Canadians. It was to help her CBC cameraman husband who never missed a day of work. He improperly claimed to serve. Um, anyways, uh, this was first broken by Black Locks reporter who do incredible work, uh, independent journalists. And, uh, The state broadcaster, by the way, if they missed a day of work, most of them were sent home with full pay. According to uh, CBC, less than 20% of their employees, mainly those involved with essential operations such as news presentation and news gathering, reintegrated 
into our office. So um, now she was also working it uh, when she ran this Hepner. Uh, she was working for CHCH in Hamilton. And she was also working hard every single day. Then she ran for the liberals, which is, um, I think, a lateral move <laughs> when you work in mainstream journalism. I often joke like when I say the media and the liberals, but I, you know, like I repeat myself. This is literally true. <laughs> like she was a journalist. She's like, also, I'm your liberal MP now. Um, but yeah, her her husband, who was a cameraman for the CBC, took CERB illegally, even though he was working full time. Wow. You know, these people just <laughs> money grubbing. Uh, let's uh, also close out on this last little thing. I'm not sure if we have any chats today to mention, but UFC champion. Sean Strickland uh, gave it to the Canadian media and the Canadian liberals. But as the joke goes, I repeat myself and Justin Trudeau and he slammed gender ideology. And I'm wondering um, what he's going to do after UFC. Does he want a job as a Canadian politician or a media commentator? <laughs> I'm just curious because um, he had a lot to say and um I wanted to hear it. Anyways, let's let's roll this clip. Support of gay and lesbian yeah. community in this city. I did want to ask you about something you wrote a couple of years ago. You said if I had a gay son, I would think I. Oh look, another another. I'm saying to you, the swamp, you guys, the swamp. You become a champion, you become a star, and and someone. Let me ask you something. Are you are you are you gay? No, are you? Let me know. Are you gay? Can I hear? Can I get an answer? Well, no, I'm asking. I'm, this is a part of. Are you are you a gay man? I'm an ally of the community. Okay. If you had a son and he was like, you know, you had a son, he was gay. You'd be like, oh, man, you don't you don't want a grandkid. No problem with it. Oh, man. Well, dude, you're a weak fucking man, dude. You're like you're part of the fucking problem. You elected Justin Trudeau. Sorry about like, the rough language. Would you fucking when he sees the bank accounts like you're just fucking pathetic. And and the fact that the fact that you have no fucking backbone and and has he shut down your fucking country and seized bank accounts? You ask me some stupid shit like that. Go fuck yourself. Move the fuck on, man. I feel like that doesn't really coward. answer the question, but I did want to ask also things you said about the trans community. You said uh, this past October when they announced the Bud Light sponsorship that you'd go so hard on Bud Light in your next fight, they'll have to accept me or denounce me when uh, when they know what and will know what they stand for. Are you this guy's like hey, this Canadian's not that Canadian. Are you still going to use your fight time to kind of speak on that? Here's the thing about Bud Light. Here's the thing about Bud Light. Ten years ago, to be trans was a, what, a mental fucking illness. And now all of a sudden, people like you have fucking weaseled your way in the world. You are, you are an infection. You are the definition of weakness. Everything that is wrong with the world is because of fucking you. And the best thing is, is the world's not buying it. The world's not buying your fucking bullshit you're fucking peddling. The world is not saying, you know what? You're right. Fucking chicks have dicks. The world's not saying that. The world's saying, no, there are two genders. I don't want my kids being taught about, you know, who they could fuck in school. I don't want my kids being taught about, you know, their sexual preference. Like, dude, this guy is a fucking enemy. Uh, you want to look at the fucking enemy to our world? It's that motherfucker right there asking these stupid fucking questions. Sorry, I'm, I, I told the UFC I was being nicer. Lance, Lance am, I, am I still good with this? Am I, did I cross any lines? A little, okay, what the fuck? Right I didn't say here, the F that word. That shirt is pretty good. You just brought this fucking... Okay, let's cut. Sorry, I should have warned everybody about the rough language, but where do we get that shirt? A woman in every kitchen, a gun in every hand? 
Where do I get that shirt? <laughs> I love that shirt. Um, I would not have said some of the things he said in the way in which he said them. <laughs> in an interview. Um, his language is pretty rough. I wouldn't necessarily call a person an infection, although I would say that there's definitely a mind virus polluting the young people, and that mind virus is called gender ideology. But what did that journalist expect? Like, let's throw out whether or not we agree with Sean Strickland and everything that he said there. But Sean Strickland, outspoken on these issues, wearing that shirt, do you honestly think that if you ask a question about your personal hobby horse issue of gender theory and denounce yourself to him as an ally of the community, did that journalist think, did he really think that he was going to be the journalist that got Sean Strickland <laughs> to admit that he was wrong and that he had a change of heart and you would see a kinder, gentler version of Sean Strickland? <laughs> Is that what he thought? I have no idea, but it just furthers my theory about the absolute narcissism of these people, that they can force you to adopt their worldview, that they can force you to use their language, that they can force you to play along with their delusions, that men can just, through the magic of surgery and hormones, become a woman, that people who have never been a woman could tell you. I feel in my heart that I am a woman, even though they have no idea what women feel in their hearts. The absolute narcissism that they think they can bend nature, science, biology, and you to their worldview simply by announcing that they are an ally. <laughs> it's just, it's so comical. It reminds me of the journalist who asked that question to Pierre Polyev while Pierre Polyev was just munching that apple. And then that journalist got his ass handed to him on an international scale. These journalists refuse to learn. <laughs> like this one, same thing happened to him. And it's just, you know, I just love seeing a journalist, especially a bad journalist like that, just get put right into their place. We saw that also with the, the CNN reporter. I mean, it happens in a multitude of ways. <laughs> and we're seeing it more often. And maybe, maybe they'll stop. But I don't think so, because they are narcissists and they think I'm going to be the one. <laughs> I'm going to be the one to teach this racist, homophobe, fascist. I'll be the one who asks them that pointed question that changes them deep inside their soul. <laughs> I think we're going to see a lot more axe murderings of journalists, metaphorically speaking, <laughs> before this is all over. Um, do we have any, uh, chats, Olivia? Okay, perfect. No chats. Let's wrap it up. See you guys next week. Thanks to everybody who tuned in on one of the platforms wherein you watched us. Thanks to everybody who engages in lively discussion. Uh, thanks to everybody who works behind the scenes on the team to put the show together. So it's available for you whenever you want to watch it. And, you know, as David Menzies always says, as he's out there. Uh, struggling to hang on to his sanity, stay sane. <laughs>